Welcome to From Caving In to Crushing It, the podcast for those who find themselves immersed in adversity and choose to write their story instead of having others write it for them. I'm Drew Duraney, and I'm your host. Today's guest is John Wyman. After being diagnosed with cirrhosis and giving two months to live, John overcame tremendous adversity as he had two strokes, seizures where he flatlined twice, 4,000 pounds of fluid drained from his body, and a dozen surgeries while waiting 12 years for his liver transplant. While waiting for transplant, John built a nationally recognized marriage counseling practice. Today, John considers himself a liver transplant thriver, and he believes being given two months to live is the best thing that ever happened to him. He takes time to appreciate life every day and is crushing it in his practice. Enjoy the show. John Wyman, awesome to see you, my friend. Great to see you, Drew. How are yeah. you? I'm, I'm, I'm doing well, and I'm looking forward to this, man, because, you know, with with my show, it's like I always talk about authenticity, and I, I, I do that. I don't edit this thing. It's, you know, everything's on the table, Good. like whatever, whatever, uh, whatever people want to talk about, because the whole idea behind what I want is I want people to be inspired by the guest and and to know that with their current hardships they're not on an island all by themselves and there are people out there who've gone through stuff and there's always people who want to help you and mentor you so to 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 not think you're alone and then you can reach out for help so so and uh you know another thing you know when we're kids john and i'm sure this happened to you weren't you taught that life is linear that if you do all the right things john you do A plus B plus C plus D, and that can be go to school, college, get married, have kids. Everything's going to fall into place, and you'll be all oh, set. Absolutely. Right? I was supposed to go to Princeton. Oh, See? Yeah. Yes, See? Yeah. So that so that wasn't true because everybody is just teaching us what they learned, you know, from the pat from the from from their parents and their parents, and they don't really interject like what happened to them really. So we grow up thinking it's a straight line and then something steps in between those letters of a plus B and we have to make a decision. Right. Mm -hmm. And we have, we can decide a lot of us don't realize we have a choice. We can choose to to retreat and give up, or we can choose to move forward and become stronger for our adversities as opposed to despite them. That's why I wanted you on. And, and um, I know you've gone through a lot in your life and I know you're willing to share. So, um, and I'm sure there's a few of these defining moments we talk about, but reach back wherever you want to go and give, give the audience one or two of these defining moments, whether it was a tap on the shoulder or a two by four upside the head that woke you up and said, Hey, John, better way to live, dude. You better pay attention. Let's do something different. Okay. Well, I'll start with the two by four. All right. Um, 16 years ago, I walked into St. Joe's hospital here with stomach pain. Hmm. And after four hours of testing, uh, the doctor finally came in and said, all right, here's the deal. You're in complete liver failure. You keep doing what you're doing. You'll be dead in two months. Oh, my gosh. That's a two by four. That's a two by four. Yeah. And I, I said, OK, I'll stop. And I stopped immediately. Stopped drinking immediately. I didn't do AA. I didn't do anything like that. I, mm -hmm. uh, In my field. One of my mentors told me, and it's so true, John, you got to realize it's six months before they stop lying. And a lie I recently admitted to myself mm. recently. Yeah. 
was it was so easy for me to stop because I thought, well, I don't want to die. Of course I stopped drinking. Of course I did. I don't want to die. Well, the truth was mm-hmm. that I, I walk every morning. Uh, I thought dying would hurt. Oh, <laughs> interesting. I didn't want the pain of dying. I, I, I saw that guy in a bed and I was like, oh, no, no way. I don't want that. Okay. So it was really easy for me to, you know, just say, oh, well, I didn't want to die. Of course, you know, come on, Drew, I didn't want to die. So I stopped drinking. It was easy. It was about, um, you know, pain and, you know, through my journey, um, waited 12 years for a liver transplant. Wow. Uh, again, died four times, uh, two strokes. Oof. Uh, when I was on life support for five days, uh, seizures where I flatlined, 4,000 pounds of fluid drained from my oh body. My God. Uh, yeah, but I'll tell you what, if I had to do it all over again, yeah. I'd do it again in a heartbeat. And, and you know, I'm, I, I expected you to say that and tell, tell us why you would do it again in a heartbeat. I, um, I began to appreciate life. Mm-hmm. Really, I, I stopped to take the time to really look at what it'd be like. If you asked me when I was sick, hey, John, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? I'd say, Drew, man, I'm trying to make it to tomorrow. Mm. And I began to just really appreciate tomorrow. And I, you know, and I take the time every morning. Uh, we live on the water, and I sit out and I just watch nature for like two hours. Wow! And I, I never noticed a butterfly before. Uh, I, <laughs> it was yeah. so cool to it, see it. You know, it, it is it is amazing because it's those. Things like that we take for granted when we're just focusing on really going through autopilot, just trying to, whether it's the business, making money, getting all the things we want in life, and we don't realize those little things. Um, two hours in nature every morning, that is that is a, a, a habit you built that I'm sure has helped you stay in the present moment and not be too consumed with other other things, either the past or, or what's in the, on the horizon, right? Absolutely. It, it's just really taking the time to be grateful um, yeah. Yeah. for everything. And, you know, in my wait for 12 years for a transplant. Um, oh, by the way, they found cancer. While when they when they found the, they the took out my liver, when yeah, they took they out the cancer. when they took out not when they diagnosed you, you're talking no. about 12 years later, then they take yeah. out. Oh, my gosh. So that was like. Okay, thank you for removing it and putting a new liver in, but thanks thanks for that news. How'd you handle that news? Oh, well, they told me we think we oh. got it all. Oh. We think we do. We're not sure, but we think we do. So we're going to have to test you every three months okay. for five years. Oh, boy. Okay. And I'm in year three now. Um, no signs. Clean so, and all that. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, right. but it's... Awesome. Again, and I... I I'd say the tap on the shoulder one yeah, was. Yeah, when was that? Um, that was probably about a year after I got sick. People kept telling me to have the positive perspective. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Okay. Are you serious? Like in that year, I saw three people die. Wait, I, from from what you had? From or what, what I had, from, from what you... a cirrhosis. Oh my gosh, okay. And I... um 
total, I saw 14 people die. I'm the only one alive. Oh my gosh. Um, and somebody's telling me, be positive, be positive. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding. You don't know what you're talking about. And right. Right. I slowly bought in with that tap on the shoulder. Okay. And about a year later, after I, I started to buy in, I got healthier. I was still sick, obviously, <laughs> but yeah, my, even my blood work improved. It's unbelievable how there's a, uh, that that cause it's really a causation too, not really a correlation. They say, <laughs> "God, okay." Yeah, so the blood work started to improve, and that and that probably in turn even got you to be more positive because you're like, "Oh shoot, yes. this positive stuff's working. Let me make it work faster. I'm going to be even more positive." Yeah, I I mean, I literally thought, you know, I remember that defining moment. I'm like, "Wow, I've had a positive attitude. Am I healthier be healthier because I have a positive attitude, or do I have a positive attitude because I'm healthier?" Right. I don't care. It didn't matter. Yeah. yeah. I don't care. Really, yeah, I, I just know matter. it yeah. worked. And yep. I say today, being diagnosed with cirrhosis is one of the best things that ever happened to me. Unbelievable. Everything good in my life happened after I after, was given to after that. Well, let, let's talk about that. So, so when you were diagnosed, we, we know now that you are in marriage counseling. You're a marriage mm -hmm. counselor. Were yeah. you a marriage counselor at the time you were diagnosed? No. All right. This is I want I want to hear what you were doing, um, and and what your mindset was in that professional field, and then how this whole transition when you know two by four tap on the shoulder, then you're in another okay. field. Okay. Uh, I uh, I'm remarried. I was originally married for 14 years. While um, right at the beginning of my marriage, I uh, I was in this field working with one of the best in the world. Mm -hmm. a guy by the name of Dr. James Masterson and that linear path. Yeah. I was going to get my PhD and working at the Masterson Institute and retired at 50. And what was the, what was the industry at the Masterson Institute? It was, yeah, I, I worked in a psych hospital. Okay. I was a recreational therapist. Got it. Got it. Okay. So there's the, the straight line linear. You're on your way to get the PhD and then some stuff happened. Okay. Yeah, you know, marriage started a family and it was, hey, you know, we have to go and, and get a real job, so to speak. Hospital didn't pay well. And uh, so I left the field. Oh boy. Okay. Um, and I could go into the caving of that. It was basically don't be like your dad. Oh boy. Um, yeah. So yeah. um the shame, the shame and guilt part. Oh, well, you know, that happens when your father marries his secretary and leaves your mother yeah. basically homeless. That will yeah. do it. Oh, my gosh. Jeez, that's so. that's some trauma to deal with. Okay. All right. Denial so. is a powerful weapon. Mm, yes, <laughs> um, absolutely is. Okay. So um, we left the field, moved to Maryland. Um, I uh, went to work for a marketing company that basically sells... Um, well, I'd like to say shit with your name on it. T-shirts, pens. Got it. Got all it. All that yeah. stuff. And there's yeah. a lot of money in that. Yes. And, yes. Um, in the troubles in my marriage, I decided to go out on my own. Um, the okay. critical business mistake I made was one customer accounted for 90% of my business. Oh, boy. Okay. And right. they moved away. And yeah. talk about keeping in. Yeah. Uh, my mom also during that time she she died and i had a close friend die oh and, my gosh 
uh, caving in is putting it nicely. Oh boy. And uh, and you were still with the first wife at this time. Uh, no divorce no. happened during that so, time. So divorce also happened during that time. So when it rains, it pours. So yeah. now, okay. So yeah. now all of this happened mm-hmm. and you found yourself in financial relationship i'm sure some spiritual downs and and absolutely okay tell me about that and and talk about and i recently uh came to terms with this and realized this um how history repeats itself yeah well in my parents divorce Mm -hmm. none of my friends no one knew for five years guess what i did with my ex, we kept it a secret for five the years. The same thing. So repeated the same. same wow. Mistake. Yeah. So and that took a lot uh, a toll on me. Well, um, I mean, I'm sure when your parents did, it took a toll on you as a as a child. You couldn't even you didn't even be able to say. Did you know that they were? Or they they told you, and you weren't allowed yeah. to say anything. Don't say anything. I, yeah, I couldn't adolescence. Um, I God. realized this again not too long ago. I couldn't like bring a date home to introduce them to my parents. parents. Shoot. And I couldn't also, because of that, I didn't even know how to go knock on a door and say, I'm here to pick up your daughter. Yep. I had never done that. And, yeah. Oh boy. You know, with the splitting yeah. of my parents, that type of guidance I didn't have because I went to a boarding school. Okay. So there was never go meet the parents. Oh boy. So wow. So you didn't have that male role model to kind of walk you those ropes. Exactly. And now you recreated history and at the time you weren't thinking about that. No, no, yeah. I was clueless to it. And you clueless. had kids at the time or no? Two boys, yeah. Two how boys. how did they handle that not being able to say anything? Um, you know, it was interesting. Uh, we didn't talk about it much. Mm. I remember one time the town gossip lady, oh, geez. after three years of separation, um, went up to my ex with my 11 year old son and said, I'm so sorry to hear that oh. you and John are separated. Oh God. And she said, I don't know what you're talking about. We've never been happy in front of my son. Oh, the, oh, wow. And then she goes home, calls me at my apartment and says, you have to call her husband and set him straight. And I did that for the benefit of my children or what I thought was the benefit yeah. of my children. Um, again, I would say the trauma of my own parents' divorce. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's like, just, hey, you know, if that's what's needed, we'll do it. And I did that. Yeah. So okay. um, I was really lost. But um, I guess to get back to this field, yeah. Um, my mother, when I was first in it, she said to me, John, you have a gift. Mm. My mom was a therapist. And I'm like, yeah. so what she are you knew. talking about? And she said, you see people. Mm-hmm. You see them. And I didn't understand what she meant. Yeah. Yeah. And when I now sit in sessions and they're talking, you see it's them. literally like me watching a movie and I see the reactions of what they're describing. I wish I could tell you how, but, and they're like, and I describe it and they're like, that's exactly what was happening. Wow. Um, and, I'm and very lucky. But, now, uh, when, when you're, when you're actually in a session, and mm-hmm. and the, the 
couple is saying what they're saying, are you able to know if they're being their true selves or if they're doing <laughs> the wearing the mask and all this, you know? Uh, yes. And a lot of times, again, yeah. at that, talk about a nice, great, another tappy moment. Yeah. John, you got to realize it's six months before they stop lying. Six and months. So you mean, so that what that meant is six months into counseling, they're, they're yes. lying for the first six months, probably not realizing they're lying. They believe that truth. Correct. And then the walls Correct. start breaking down because they trust you a little more or they're done with the lying and then they come clean and then that's when the work starts i guess yes exactly uh, okay it's, uh, they don't know it's not like they went to one grocery store when they went to another yeah 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 they, yeah they're yeah. saying oh um this is what happened you know this is what i really felt um that's that's so. a joke. yeah see my uh, ex-wife and i we bypass we went right we went to a mediator first okay and then and then you know so we and we stayed with the mediator i mean that's how it was all mm. so um yeah she she called us on our stuff like way earlier than the six months. <laughs> you want to drag this out? Keep doing what you're doing. And we're like, oh, shit. All right. For the kids, we will. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. Um, I didn't even have a lawyer. Okay. Wow. I said, like, my parents divorced in the 70s. Yeah. Was over uh, $500,000 in legal fees in five years. Wow. And I sat there and I said, don't be like mom and dad. Just, you know what? Let her get a lawyer. And I signed. Interesting. Whatever she wanted. She got the house. She got my retirement. Uh, I mean, I basically gave her three times the amount of money that the court guidelines said. Wow. Uh, I you just wanted want it done to suffer. Yeah. I oh. didn't want the, my kids to suffer. Um, I wanted the money to go to them instead of okay. lawyers. Well, how'd you handle it? Because obviously it's now money out of your pocket too. How'd you I handle that? Eviction, thirty-eight months in a row. Yeah, that's how I was thinking that might happen. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, and again, I I tend to look back at that, look at it positively. Mm -hmm. it, yeah. It made me, gave me the confidence that I can survive mm -hmm. anything. I sold my car to not get evicted. Wow. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, you, yeah, you knew what it was like to be on nearly that rock bottom uh, yeah, at that point. Yeah. All right, so you obviously you dug yourself out. So, so you got your the divorce is behind you. You have the now with the liver transplant. How did you meet your second wife? Because that was a cool story. If I remember, um, Sherry. Yeah, well, we met online. Yeah, and um, you know, I I literally I didn't have anything to offer anyone. Yeah. And I, um, I decided I was gonna, I, in my childhood adolescence, when I dated, I, I did it to be accepted. Mm, got it. I, I wasn't authentic in mm -hmm. that way. I, yeah. I just literally, and very honestly, whoever I dated on some level without me admitting it, they were my family because mm. I'm living with my father and his secretary. Right, right. Yep. Oh, family geez. was gone okay. and I was right. the youngest. So, right. Um, you know, I, uh, I just look at that period and, um, you know, I met my wife online and one of the changes I made was I made the decision. I hate people who are great first dates. 
<laughs> great first dates because they're they're full of it you know yeah, yeah. and so um, i when we met i decided that i'm gonna be the worst first date and one of the things she says to me i'll, I'll keep politics out of it but it was into it she asked me what political party she i was okay and she said because if you're not my party that's a big red flag okay yeah <laughs> and i said Whatever party you are, I'm the opposite. <laughs> love it. Love it. Love and it. I was just like, look, I'm not going to do this thing of, of you know, like faking it. And yeah. um, I'll never forget, we walked out um, and uh, of the place, um, the Pink Flamingo. And I literally fell to the ground with liver stomach pain. At, at the I, first after the first date yeah first date yeah oh, we were geez. walking to our yeah. cars yeah and um she was so cool she was like i felt so embarrassed and she's like you know it's okay it's okay let's get you to the bench and i'll go get the car and and pick you up and i'm like okay i'm really sorry and um she's like really don't worry about it and she got me to our car. We did the kiss goodnight thing. And, was this before uh, you were diagnosed? Did you know it was happening? No, this was after I was diagnosed. After. So, the, okay. So you knew. Okay. I, um, and that's how she found out. No, no. Oh. I told her. You did? What okay. I okay. Did okay. Was, gotcha. Yeah. This, it's right. kind of interesting. I, wow. Um, I like I the authenticity a, and honesty on the first date. Oh, I love No it. joke. I, no joke. It, it, it needs none, to be that way. None. Right? I, I decided, um, I saw this thing on HBO, not 50, but 21st dates. Oh. And this guy went on these dates to really learn about himself and figure out what he wanted. And yeah. so I decided to do that. Okay. Um, the first date I went on, the woman said, oh my God, I'm not divorced. I can't be seen out in public with a guy. I'm like, cool. Um, the second date said, uh, John, I was very upfront about my illness. She goes, I can't deal with that. The third date, um, she said, it was going well. We had, went out for coffee. And she said, but John, you're dying. And I said, so are you. What's your point? Yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that answer. Uh, the fourth one showed up to lunch uh, high and drunk. And I was like, nope, that's not going to work. And wow. Sherry was the next one, Sherry. And she was so cool. And I love it. I, I'll never forget driving home to my apartment. I called her and I was like, Hey, you know, I, I know I seemed like a real jerk and uh, I just wanted you to know, I really appreciate what you did. And I had a really good time and good for you. She said, I, I knew you were, I knew you were what you were doing. I knew you were kidding. And you know, it was, I had a lot of fun too. So, um, but then what happened was as we started to date, I decided I wanted to go back into this field of psychology and yeah we were talking about it i was like well you know i messed up my marriage so i want to find out about that mm. and i found the gottman institute which okay. i am biased but i think it's the best okay and i completed my training good for you and after i completed it drew it sucked no kidding so okay and i'll tell you why yeah because I did, I wasn't making money. I was making thirty thousand dollars a year. Wait, when was this? When it? This was twelve years ago. Twelve. Wow. Oh, geez. Okay. 
They really yeah. didn't pay well. My God. Oh, I and I like I took these lousy jobs just to just survive. To yeah. And, um, so I take the training and I can't afford an office. Oh, geez. And I'm like, I can't believe this. I, you know, I wasted the time and the money I had it. And Sherry said to me, we were, you know, I was in my apartment. She was in her house. She said, well, why don't you just use my living room? And I'm like, what? Wow. And she said, yeah, just use my living room. I'm like, you realize you're going to have people coming to your house that you don't know and they don't like each other. That's crazy. And she said, that's okay. We'll just put up two doors to make it private for you. So you and knew I, right away you wanted to do marriage counseling as opposed to absolutely. like psych stuff. Okay. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Because right. I realized I messed up mine. And, got it. And you wanted to find um, out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, got, I, I get it. What makes it work. I and get it. Makes sense. What, yeah. When I asked her, I was like, why would you, why would you do this? Mm -hmm. And she said the number one thing I learned at the Gottman Institute, she said, you said it was your dream. I want you to have your dream. That's amazing and, that you found yeah, someone who and, was willing there. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, fast forward 12 years and now people online say nice things about me. Um, I love it. I love that you're talking about authenticity because my first day of practice, I made a promise to myself that I kept today, Good. still Good. have it. Good. And the, the promise was if I think it, I say it. I don't care who it is. Yeah. I've seen some very high profile people. I'm like, mm -hmm. no, sorry. I, I thought it, I'm saying it. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, it's been one, it hasn't been easy, but it's been 100%. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, there's, you know, I always would say, uh, yeah, he doesn't have a filter. She doesn't have a filter. Um, filters are appropriate at some point, but there are many times mm -hmm. where filters not appropriate because then we are not allowing people to really know who we are. And then, you know, then we get the comment, oh, that's out of character of you. And I'll say, well, it's really not. It's always been me. <laughs> the person yeah, you knew yeah. was out of character. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't want to hear that out of character thing anymore. So no, good, no, good no, for no. you, hey, man. Good for well, you. I'll, I'll tell you a funny one. Yeah. I'm literally actually wearing, yeah. uh, I met with this big Hollywood star yeah. through Zoom. Yeah. And he comes on screen and he's like, he doesn't see me in a suit and tie. Yeah. And he says to his wife, who the hell is this guy? This guy who the right. hell is he? And she goes, I checked him out. He's good. He's good. And um, and I I have to, I used to wear a suit and tie. And I'm like, yeah. that's not me. You no, didn't feel comfortable not, doing it. It just no. didn't feel right. Yeah. Good. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So yeah. I, uh, I tell people again, in terms of authenticity, I call it Ed Sheeran it. The, the singer just think yeah. out loud just yep. just think out loud say it. that you yeah. know and yeah it's, oh you it's end up surrounding yourself with the people who build who lift you up rather than knock you down when you are who you are because they have a choice now they can either say yeah. screw you i don't like the way you are or i'll stay or i'll stay with you and you know if they stay and they know who you are they're going to be supporters so i like that i love that approach I, yeah i can't talk in that you know uh therapist voice of true are you feeling okay today? <laughs> yeah, Can't please really? don't. I don't like that. Don't don't talk. I'm like don't Drew, what's your problem? <laughs> don't use that voice, man. Yeah, really. Oh, I love it. So I, I would love to 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 be a fly on the wall when you when you kind of address people's excuses because I know a lot of excuses are made, you know, in in the 
the divorce counseling or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure. Do you call them out on their excuses? Absolutely. That's one of the things Masterson taught me is you got to confront the client. You got to yeah. confront them. Yeah. Um, if you hear like one of the things I ask um, in the introduction is for them to define love. Okay. And they say some nonsense like, oh, it's unconditional acceptance. It's always being there and all that. And then I'll go to the other one. And I'll say, okay, you heard his definition. Based on his definition and only what he just said, do you feel he loves you? And the woman will go, yeah, I feel he loves me. I think he loves me. I'm like, no, no, We're, you're here because he's not doing that. He is. He's um, not unconditionally accepting you. Are you serious? Mm -hmm. um, like literally... Well, you ask them that in the first six months because you know they're going to be lying. <laughs> I asked them in the first session. First session, first yeah. First session. And, yeah. you know, and I've literally never had two people that yeah. have said yes and yes. No, I wouldn't think so. Yeah. 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 Because, and, and then I say, well, I didn't define it. You did. And guess yeah. what? She, he said, no, you don't do that. Why can't you live up to your own definition? Yeah. So, so all right. So, I have a question for you. So, as a marriage counselor, mm -hmm. right, what would you, how do you consider, how do you, I don't know, measure your success in your field? Is it, I've saved 75% marriages. Some shouldn't be saved. I do, like, like, how do you, I wouldn't know how to determine my success in a field like okay. yours. Um, a couple of ways. Right. Uh, one, um, I was floored after transplant yeah um because they're trying to get the anti-rejection drugs right right um one day uh i'm on the bed crying like a baby mm -hmm. and the next day the nurse's aide comes in and says john it's time to sit in the chair and i said you take a step in this room i'll punch you in your face mm -hmm. And he's like, whoa, when the surgeon comes in. And I'm two and a half hours away. I'm in Philly. I live in Baltimore. Right. Two and a half hours away. And um, the surgeon comes in and says, John, we'd like to have you talk to the transplant team psychiatrist. And I'm like, okay, sure. Bring him in. I'd love to talk to him. And Marco comes in and says to me, hey, John, first of all, I know who you are. I know what you do for a living. And I know how good you are doing it. I'm like, wow, wow, that's pretty cool. Wow. You know, and two and a half hours away. Wow. Um, that was a very proud moment. That's and a good measurement of, of, of that. Yep. Yeah. And then the other thing is um, I encourage you, challenge you, and I'm 100% confident. Go out there and find someone who has more five-star reviews than me. Mm. My reviews are un unsolicited. Oh, oh, okay. I've never asked for one. Never asked, okay. There is one person who, a colleague of mine, Ingrid Felton. Uh, Ingrid has more than I do. Um, and we we share, I refer people to her, she refers yeah. them to me. But yeah. Yeah, I, I just don't feel comfortable no, I understand that in, in that in your field, I completely understand that. What I'm what I'm curious about is you look at those five star reviews. 
what percent of those couples stayed together and what percentage ended up in divorce? I'm curious. Have you ever looked um, it, at that? It, it, that's a great question. Um, I know um, the majority of them stay together. I would say over 75%. But what's even more interesting yeah, yeah. is some of them that got divorced uh -huh. wrote reviews. See, that's and that that to me is from well, I would think that's even a greater measure of success, provided they weren't like bashing the the yeah, X in yeah. the review too. <laughs> what if I mean, no. you know, I basically my take on, you know, in these sessions is yeah. it's really simple. All you have to be able to do is look in the mirror and say, I did everything I could. I could. And if the yep. mirror says, yes, you have. Mm. you two will be fine absolutely yeah fine so um whether it works or not as long as they can look in the mirror they're good absolutely absolutely yeah. geez i could talk to you for forever john um <laughs> all right so before i get to my last two questions sure. i know that the audience has certainly captured the essence of of john wyman and uh so audience in order to uh get to know john more or, um, or or learn more about him and his practice. If you Google LifeBridge coaching, all one, all three words, and John three Wyman, words. yeah, three words, LifeBridge coaching, John Wyman, you will find LifeBridgeCoaching.com, basically. Yes, exactly. One thing you'll find. You'll also find him on LinkedIn and all that. Um, on his website, you'll learn a lot about his practice, his life story. He does talk about um, the diagnosis of cirrhosis and that whole journey. Um, he's definitely somebody you'll want to get to know, uh, especially if you want to know somebody who's authentic. And, you know, and John, in your practice, do you do uh, marriage counseling remotely or is it only in person? I actually do worldwide. Worldwide. OK, good to know, folks. Worldwide. All right. So. Um, so. So, you know, if you I have challenges in Australia. Yeah. Uh, oh, really? Oh, no kidding. Yeah, All right. Yeah. Wow. Well, so, so yeah. So reach out if you have questions about your marriage or you just, or you just want to strengthen it or enhance the connection or whatever. Um, I think, you know, actually one question I didn't ask you, which I was sure. really thinking about is how, how in the U S there are four taboo topics that people say, don't talk about, especially in business. And that's sex, money, religion, and politics. <laughs> All right. So I'm wondering, I mean, I have a theory that those couples that have been together for a long time and it's a quote unquote happy marriage did discuss those four taboo topics early in the relationship to ma set and manage expectations. So there were no surprises. I'm also wonder if there is a correlation between those those couples who don't talk about those four things early on and end up getting divorced because there are a ton of freaking surprises during the marriage. Do you talk about that type well, of those, those four yes, taboo topics? Yes, absolutely. And I'll, I'll tell you that the data on this, 67% of conflict is called perpetual conflict. Okay. And what that is, is the history of your position long before you two ever met so mm. naturally you both think you're right right whether it be like if, if there's someone who's a saver right financially yeah. someone to right. saver and hey you know what you live once i'm going to spend you're mm. crazy you're boring i'm gonna spend well, yeah you know why i have it i could die tomorrow yep well in perpetual conflict what i like to say is i don't like the word compromise mm. i like to say what are you willing to bring to the table i love that um so if you're willing to 
it's not compromise. Um, yeah, I love that because compromise, somebody's losing. Yeah, exactly. Right? And exactly. and it's more of a collaboration that you will have the same goal. Let's work together. I, I love that approach, John. That's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. And now another thing is um, somebody told me a, st a statistic that and you think about the corporate world. And I know as men that it happened to me when I was going through my divorce, I, the divorce was final. And the three years of mediation, I changed as a person. I was not happy and I lost focus in the workplace. And I ended up being fired six months after my divorce, which is costly to me, but also costly to the organization with what I was with because now I'm going to hire somebody else and all that. I almost wonder, and it's kind of like what I want to get involved in too, is help like the middle managers at these corporations kind of navigate the corporate world because I would think the companies lose a ton of money when one of their employees goes through some kind of marital discord or relationship issue. So I would think your service would be uh, freaking awesome in I'll shock corporate. You. What, what's that? I'll shock you because yeah, I yeah. recently started to do corporate work. You did. I do a three-hour lecture. Ah. An hour of what makes marriage work, hour of what breaks it, and an hour of questions. Um, and For I'm the employees doing, in a corporate location. Yes, through wow. Zoom. 500 of them can sign Good on. Good for and, you. Yeah, it's here's here's the uh, wake-up call for companies. Mm -hmm. Divorce costs companies over $150 billion. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> So if you, as a company, um, you, you know, do, like I do these seminars at night yeah. Um, and the employee can go home, have their wife, husband with them and they can listen to it. And, you know, if we're saving a few, if they're taking the information, they mm -hmm. can take the information and use it from the seminar. Yeah. They may decide to book sessions. Okay. They may say, you know, that was good. So it's the company. It's also good public relations for the companies because it's saying, "Hey, we care about you." Yeah. At home as well as here, but it's also smart business. I love this, John, because I I said it just because I I thought there'd be a need in that. The fact that there are companies out there that have not only entertained the the possibility of doing it, actually doing it, they're kind of walking the talk, and and I'm hoping that these organizations share what they're doing with other organizations so the word is spread because um this whole work life balance people talk about i think is a bunch of bull uh <laughs> there's the, the human nature you're going to take one thing from the other and it's sometimes it's a good because some people have strengths in one area and should use that same strength in the in in both you know the professional and personal so yeah, there's a blurred line with this work-life balance, and that's okay. Here's a wake-up call for you. I had a yeah. lawyer whose name was on the building. Yeah. Um, he, he was working so much, his wife literally bought a house and left him. Oh, geez. He ended up in a psych hospital for 30 days, got discharged to me. Oh, wow. And um, we were talking, you know, and one day, and I was like, hey, how much did this cost you? You know, and he said, oh, my God, John, divorce in my uh, among me and the partners cost us over two million dollars in billings this year. Oh, my God. So and I that's where I got the idea. I was like, hey, can I, you know, do you mind if I come in? And he said, oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So, yeah, there's definitely um, some something, uh, something there, John. So good for you. Good for you. Yeah. Um, all right. So before we wrap up, I've got two yeah. final questions. All right. Yeah. 
So you have the opportunity to sit down with young John Wyman, young seven to 10 year old John, and you want to give him advice about life. What are you going to tell him? Um, wow. Great question. Um, you know, it one, um, probably the most important thing is to be, uh, have enough courage to be yourself. Mm. Um, I, I remember, um, for example, in sixth grade, my two best friends, um, walked away from me. We walked to school together every day and they yeah. walked away from me and they said, uh, we can't be friends with you anymore because we like girls and you're not cool enough to and walked away and my hmm. life kind of went shattered and seventh grade that was sixth grade seventh grade i began to drink oh my god and i remember the first uh bonfire for the school football game yeah i got drunk and i went to all these people to be accepted hmm. And I wasn't me. Nope. Um, and, and very honestly, um, not until Sherry have I been me. Wow. Uh, so I would tell that kid, you have to have the courage to be yourself. Some things we can change. Yeah. Some things we can't. Got it. Yep. And that has to be okay. Um, I love that. Wow. Awesome advice. All right, so we'll switch hats. Now you're sitting down with young John, the entrepreneur, young businessman. You want to give him advice about business. What are you going to tell him? Find an area of need that the customer needs and build a model around it. For example, in my practice, um, people love it. I don't do the hour thing of, oh, Drew, you're saying something important right now? Really? I need your credit card. <laughs> yeah, I yep. charge per session. Yeah. And they can call me between sessions anytime they want. I love that. So in every area, in any type of people's company, I remember when I owned a marketing company, right? Well, one of the first things I did was we brought uh silk screening and embroidery in-house instead of depending on someone else to do it mm. we bought the materials of the company and we did it oh wow uh, we hired employees to do it so having that control if you needed a hundred t-shirts tomorrow mm -hmm. i made the decision whether that could be done i didn't have to go make calls and everything so you want to always, whatever business you're in, mm -hmm. look for the areas of need okay. and attack it because it's there and the customers are screaming for it. Absolutely. No, that's great advice. Absolutely. Most entrepreneurs do it backwards. Yeah. Uh, boy, this was, this was unbelievable. First of all, I want to thank Michael Overly for the introduction. I always like to thank the people who introduce good human beings to other human beings. So Mike's like a wonderful guy. Uh, John, thank you for um, coming into my life, man. I'm grateful. Uh, this happened for a reason, and this will just be another one of the times we talk. Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, man. Thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate you, John. All right. All right, man. All right. Take care, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe and give us a review to help others find it. If you find yourself immersed in adversity and would like to find support from other men in times of struggle, 
please become a member of my Men Supporting Men Collaboration Tribe by emailing me at drew at profitcompassion.com, expressing your interest, and I'll get in touch with you. Speak to you soon.